0: Well, today is the big day. I don't know anything about football. I, I barely remember who's playing. I, if it weren't for Steve constantly reminding me, I probably would have forgotten by now. but it's the most watched event of the year, whether you're watching it for the game or whether you're watching it for the ads or whether you just show up for the food, you know, show up for the food. If you don't care about football, just show up for the food and have fun with us this afternoon but this competition will decide who is the best. It will decide uh, the winner and it will decide the loser. And then tomorrow none of it matters. <laughs> Not a single thing will matter and and next year, next fall when the season starts again, they they will start over all all over again with a new competition. Though there's a lesson for us there. We can we can get caught up in our victories. We can rest on our laurels and we can stop pushing ahead. We can stop striving for more. We can stop giving our best. Or we can let defeat take hold of us and never learn from our defeats, never grow and never move on. And both of those mistakes, whether resting in our victories or resting in our defeats, both of those mistakes uh, can be deadly. Both of those mistakes can kill vision and keep us from growing. Where we pick up this week in the scripture is a place where Israel has found themselves between victory and defeat in numbers chapter 20 Aaron has died Aaron was Moses brother Aaron was the high priest Aaron went to the people for or went to God for the people he was Moses voice and it says at the end of numbers 20 that after Aaron died all the house of Israel everyone in Israel wept for Aaron for 30 days they grieved they were lost this this man who had gone to God for them was gone and then we begin chapter 21 and chapter 21 begins with the greatest victory that they had ever had over their in over an enemy during this period of time it says in verses 2 and 3 of of Numbers chapter 21, and Israel vowed a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And the Lord heeded the voice of Israel. God listened to them and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. And so the name of the place was called Hormah. But victory or defeat the lesson is you can't stop. You can't quit moving on. You can't give up on vision. Numbers chapter 21, uh, verses 4 through 9, which in those Bibles that we've got for you there, it's, it's page one hundred and ninety or excuse me, 129. Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people... Became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came. To Moses, and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he might take away the serpents from us. And so Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Okay, so that's a very weird story, isn't it? I mean, that's, that story is just very strange. And, and while we could just look at the story for its weirdness, we can't divorce the story from the two things that have just happened. One, the loss of Aaron and this time of defeat for the people. And two, the victory in Arad. Uh, And we definitely can't forget Paul's warning because Paul uses this story as a warning for us uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And in verse 9, Paul says, we must not put Christ to the test. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Paul brings it down to Jesus. And so with that, we can't just simply take this as some dusty old story from history that has nothing to do with us, Uh, some story about people half a world away. It's about Jesus, and it's about what do we do with Jesus, whether in victory or defeat. Paul says that these things happened as examples to us, so that we might not desire evil as they did. And he tells us we must not put Christ to the test but the reality is for a lot of us we started out putting christ to the test we started our journey of faith by putting christ to the test i have to admit that i did it you know i i i tried god out first and i think about that early commitment of mine when i first gave myself to christ and and it wasn't much of a commitment i i had god on trial i had conditions you know God, if you're really there, if you're really who you say you are, then I, then you need to fix my life. <laughs> you need to take away the miserable parts of my life. Take away all the miserable stuff. You, you need to to make things better. You need to make me happy. You need to get me a girlfriend. I was 16, you know, but that seemed important at the time, you know. And and so you know, I, I had I put God on like a 90-day probation. I was like, you know, God, seriously. I, I was like. You prove yourself to me and I'll stick it out. You know, I'll, I'll stay. Gave him 90 days to get his act together. And, you know, the thing is, we encourage people to do that. We tell people, just try him. Just try him and see if he doesn't bless your life. Just try him and, and watch how he's going to bless you. Just watch how good God is. But What if he doesn't? What if, What if that wonderful plan that God has for my life what if it's not all that wonderful? What if it's got hard stuff in it? Uh, what, if, what if I trust him and he doesn't heal me? What if I trust him and, and I don't get that job I need or I don't get the life I want, the, I don't get the girl that I want, you know? When, and to make it worse, what if I have to give up something I really like so that I can follow him? The people in this story here in Numbers chapter 21, they'd given up their homes in Egypt. Now, now, yeah, they were slaves in Egypt. But as slaves, they still knew where their next meal was coming from. They didn't have to march through the wilderness as slaves. They had homes. They had beds. They had places to, to live. They weren't constantly on the move. But they had given all of that up. They had seen victory, but they had also seen defeats. And they didn't think that God was delivering on his promises. So you get to verse 4, and it says in verse 4 From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea, to the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom, and the people became impatient on their ways. Now you would need to understand the geography of, of what's happening here as they're wandering in the wilderness. So for 40 years, they're wandering out there in the wilderness. And during this time, they are moving south and east. And they really want to move north and west. They really want to be going the other direction. And, and he says they were at Mount Hor. And, and from Mount Hor, from that vantage point, they could look out and they could see the promised land. They could see what they wanted, but what, was, what they were being kept from. They, they could see it right there. They could taste victory. And yet God had told them, no, you can't go there yet. It's not just that the people became impatient. They are frustrated. Everything they had hoped for was right there within their reach, and yet they could not have it. Verse 5, he goes on. He says, "...and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food." You know, their, their frustration, last week we looked at grumbling. Their frustration leads to more than just grumbling, though. Their frustration leads to, to them speaking against God, and they are speaking against Moses here. They're not just frustrated with the leadership. They are mad at God for not giving them what they want. God had, had been providing for them. God had given them Food every day. He had been feeding them manna from heaven. I mean, that's pretty cool. Magic bread that falls from the sky, right? That sounds pretty good, but they're eating this day in and day out. And what's their reaction? We loathe this miserable food, they say. Some of your Bibles say worthless. Some of your Bibles say we loathe this vile food. We hate this vile food, this despicable food. It was monotonous. And the, the real trouble that they get themselves into here in verse five, there's this thing in the, that we have in the Old Testament. we call them Old Testament types, okay? Um, an Old Testament type is an image of Jesus that shows up in the Old Testament. okay? Every now and then Jesus kind of shows up in the Old Testament, but he disguises himself in these types. And you think about a typewriter, Now, when we were kids, we had typewriters, okay? And you have a typewriter, and what does a typewriter do? The type strikes an image on the paper, right? So every now and then, in the Old Testament, Jesus shows up as a type, and he strikes an image of himself in the Old Testament. And so we see Moses talking to a burning bush. That's a type of Christ, right? Moses, there's this rock out there in the wilderness. They hit the rock, water comes out, boom, that's a type of Christ. So we have all of these different types of, of Christ in the Old Testament. The manna from heaven was a type of Christ. It was a picture of Jesus. In fact, Jesus says says so in John chapter 6 verses 48 through 50, Jesus says, "I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread." Talking about himself. "This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die." And it takes us back to what Paul said there in 1 Corinthians 10. We must not put Christ to the test as they did. That was Christ they were putting to the test. This is about Jesus. The bread wasn't enough. The manna from heaven wasn't enough for them. And the reality is, sometimes our attitude, sometimes our attitude says Jesus isn't enough. Jesus isn't enough for us and that is a very dangerous place to be because you know the the reality is we put God to the test we put Christ to the test the reality is Jesus has nothing to prove to you (laughs) Jesus has nothing to prove to me he has nothing to to prove to any of us we get this idea that Jesus you owe me Jesus you owe me look at all that I've given up look at all that I'm doing for you and Unfortunately, there are some preachers that preach that. They'll tell you that Jesus owes you and he's going to give you all kinds of great stuff. Even the disciples, they struggled with that. Peter goes to Jesus and he says, we have left our homes. We have left our nets. We've left our businesses. We've left our families and we've followed you. What do we get? I'm giving up my Sunday mornings. I could be at home right now. I could be resting. I'm giving up my fun. I'm giving up the things that I love to do. There better be compensation. You know, there there better be some kind of compensation for my devotion. Everything for me just keeps coming back to those final words from the cross. The final words from the cross was, it is finished. What else does He owe you? His work is finished. It is finished. His work is done. He owes us nothing. He has nothing to prove us. And if we are to learn anything from this example in numbers 21, it, it is a it's a terrifying lesson that we learn here. Because the lesson is if we bring judgment on God, then he brings judgment on us. If we bring judgment on God, he brings judgment on us. Now God had saved these people miraculously. You remember the story, right? He had saved them miraculously. The the Red Sea splits, they walk through, you know, uh, God had proven Himself in miraculous ways over and over again. God had even fed them miraculously with this manna that would fall like dew, and, and then they would gather it up and they would, ba- they would bake bread out of it. God had saved them miraculously. He had fed them miraculously, but that wasn't enough for them. And so what does He do? You look at verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of israel died as my hero would say snakes why did it have to be snakes they rejected the miraculous and in response god judged them with the natural when they rejected the miraculous god judged them with the natural. He judged them with, <laughs> with snakes. You know, our experience isn't a whole lot different. Jesus comes offering us miraculous salvation. He comes offering us the miraculous. Forgiveness from sins, that's miraculous. You didn't have to Do anything for that. He did it for you. It's miraculous. The presence of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the the Spirit of God, which used to dwell in this temple, now dwells in you. That's miraculous. That's an amazing thing to think about. Eternity in heaven. You get to live forever in heaven. That's miraculous. But it's the physical things. It's the things that bite us. It's the things that that hurt us it's the things that discourage us it's the things that that burn us those get in the forefront of our minds why why am i not healed from this why am i still depressed why are my children driving me nuts you know why are all of these things happening if jesus doesn't fix these things, then I'm not really interested in the miraculous. If He can't take care of the problems I've got now, then I'm not interested. I'm not interested in heaven. I'm not interested in forgiveness. I want what I want. If we're fortunate in our in our brokenness, in, in those things that we lack, sooner or later, we, we turn ourselves around. Sooner or later, we, we turn around. And in fact, God seems to use those challenges that we face to call us back to Him. And we realize we realize just how empty those things that we are holding out for really are, you know, compared to heaven, compared to forgiveness, compared to the presence of His Holy Spirit. We realize just how empty those things that we want really are and how great His promises really are. Verse 7, it says, And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he might take the serpents from us. They went to Moses and said, you you pray for us. You pray that the Lord takes us away. You know, something I hope you all realize, there are people that are praying for you. There are people who are praying for you. You you may not realize it. You, You may not know that but but someone is praying for you and you need to hear that i i don't know what misery you're carrying with you today and or, or what test you've put god to yourself but but you got to know someone is praying for you and they're praying that you will look to jesus they're praying that you will find a savior they're praying that you will see that the only real hope that we have is in jesus when these people cried out god heard them they cried out and they said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord. They admitted it. They said, we screwed up. <laughs> we really screwed up. We spoke against the Lord. And Moses, we spoke against you. We also spoke against you. Paul says they put Christ to the test. And they realized just how wrong they were. But you know what? It didn't make a bit of difference. You get to the end of this story. You get to the very end. I mean, Look at, look at verse 9. You get to the end of the story, there are still snakes. There are still all of these fiery snakes. There's this venom burns when it bites you. There are still snakes in the camp when you get to the end of the story. They're still there. Does God ever take the snakes away? No. In fact, it says in the next verse, in verse 10, they, they moved. <laughs> they got away from the snakes. They found a place where there, where there were no snakes. But God never answered that prayer. God never took the snakes away. And from what I can tell in verse 9, they're still biting people in verse 9 at the end. You see, you can can admit that you're a screw-up. And honestly, you're not telling us anything we didn't already know. We know you're a screw-up because we're screw-ups. You know, some people seem to think that that's the good news. You know, good news is I'm a screw-up. That's not the good news. You're not telling us anything we haven't already heard or, or haven't already seen or you know, haven't already read in the Bible. We all know that we're screw-ups. Admitting you're a screw-up doesn't stop the, na- the, doesn't stop the snakes from biting and it, it doesn't stop life from hurting. It doesn't keep us safe from the, from the bumps that we go through. It doesn't keep us safe from the heartbreaks that life is going to throw at you. What it, what it should do, though, is it should convince you to stop looking at yourself for the answers. Because if you're a screw-up and I'm a screw-up, then all those things that I keep telling God that I have to have, if, he's, if I'm really going to follow you, I have to have these things, I'm a screw-up. I have no idea what I need. I have no idea what I really, really need. Stop trying to find a solution to your problem within yourself. But it's after they admit that they've sinned. It's after they admit that they've screwed up. That's when God can save them. And you read the end of the story, verses 8 and 9. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live do you remember what i said earlier about types in the old testament That every now and then a an image of jesus shows up and we call it a type this is this bronze serpent is a type of christ moses makes this bronze serpent and it's it's kind of mind-blowing and it just boggles me to think about this but people are getting bit by snakes right <laughs> okay people are getting bit by snakes people are are dying from those snake bites and while they're dying, Moses goes and gets some bronze, and he starts making a snake. I don't know how you make a bronze snake. I know how to make one out of Play-Doh. It doesn't take long. I'm thinking bronze is, you know, just roll it, you know, and there's a snake. So, so people are dying while he's doing this. And, and Moses makes this bronze snake, and he sets it on a pole, and he lifts it up. And if anyone looks at this bronze snake, they will live. We love John 3.16 right? Everybody knows John 3.16. I mean, go to the ball games, there's a guy holding up a sign. Everybody sees John 3.16. Do you know, how Paul, or you know how Jesus introduces us to John 3.16? It doesn't just happen there in John. Jesus introduces us to John 3.16, to that amazing truth of God's love by taking us back to the bronze snake. Jesus says in John 3.14, He says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whoever believes in Him may may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That promise of John 3.16 is not just for people that admit that they're screw-ups. It's for people that'll look to Jesus. People of Israel, they admitted. They screwed up. We spoke against God. We spoke against Moses. But until they looked to that bronze serpent up on that pole, they weren't saved. You can admit, I've screwed up. I've sinned. I've done some bad things in my life. I have made some huge mistakes. And that's a wonderful place to start with that admission. But until you look to Jesus... There is no promise until you believe in Him. The promise is for those who look to Him. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We have all screwed up. Honestly, we don't need you to tell us that. You know, Besides the fact that we've all done that, the Bible tells us everything that we need to know. The Bible tells us in, in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All. All means all, right, all. All means all means me, all means you, okay? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We don't need you to come in here and tell us what your sins are, okay? We all just know that we've all sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. Our hope is not found in our admission of guilt. Our hope is not found in our admission of, of hypocrisy. Who do we look to? Our hope is found in Jesus. Romans 3.23 All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.24 And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's a couple of big words in there. Justified. Redemption. I don't expect you to understand them completely. I don't expect you to know exactly what those mean. But I want you to get the gist. You don't do this by yourself. You do it through Christ Jesus. You do it through Jesus. You can't fix this problem yourself you need to look to jesus you know what really gets me about this story what really just just blows me away as i read this story and maybe it sounds like i'm reading a little something into it but trust me on this okay apparently apparently there were some people who never looked to that snake apparently there were some people in the camp who got bit who never looked at the snake they never looked up they never looked at that snake and they never were saved from that snake bite you look at verse 9 and he says so moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole and if a serpent bit anyone he would look at the bronze serpent and live but the implication there is that that snake was still biting people the snakes were still biting people and some people didn't look to the snake they didn't look up at the snake and i I wonder why wouldn't you it's so easy. Just just look at the pole. Just just look up there at what's on that cross, and you're saved. Why wouldn't they do that? I think some people probably thought it wouldn't really work. You know, that's not really for me. That's not my thing. It works for some people, and if, if you need if you need to look at that, that's fine. This is America. You can do that if you want, but. It's just really not my thing. I'm not into that. I think some people thought maybe they were strong enough, you know? It's just a little snake bite. <sighs> Doesn't hurt that much. I can, I can walk it off. You know, rub some dirt in it. You'll be fine. You know, it, it, it won't it won't kill me. I mean kill some other people, but but I'll be fine. I I have I got a handle on this. Okay? I got this under control. I'm even friends with the snake. I named the snake, you know? I've named my problem. You know, hello, my name is Brett. I have a snake. I think some people were in such pain. Some people were in such misery that they thought to themselves, I'm too far gone. That snake, look into that. That's that's not going to help me. I'm too far gone. God can't save me. I hope you don't hear yourself in any of those statements. I hope you don't hear yourself in that. And yet, I have heard that from so many people. You know, I don't need Jesus. I got this. That's fine for you. You know, if you want to give up your Sundays and go play church, that's fine. But I, I don't need that. I can handle this myself. Yeah, you know, that works for some people. It doesn't work for me. The really sad ones are the ones that tell me, you wouldn't want me in your church. You wouldn't want me. God wouldn't want me. If you knew how bad I was, if you knew what I'd really done, you wouldn't want me there. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about me. (laughs) Let me tell you something about my faith. My faith tells me it's not about you. It's about Jesus. My faith tells me it's not about me. It's about Jesus. My faith tells me either He can save all of us or He can't save any of us. Because if your sin is so bad that you can't be saved, then I have no hope in Him. Either He saves all of us, or He saves none of us. If His blood isn't enough to save you, then it isn't enough to save me. And when I look at Him, when I look to Him, I see one thing very clearly. You don't have to live in your misery. You don't have to be consumed by your failure or your guilt. All you have to do is look to him. All you have to do is turn your eyes upon Jesus. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe maybe you've been enjoying your snake. (laughs) Maybe you kind of like your misery. Maybe you've never looked to him. You've looked to other people and you've said, I like what they've got. I like, I like this guy. But it's never become something that you look to yourself. You've never seen it for yourself. you never looked to him. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's where the promise is. That's where the promise is. We're going to sing this song. And today, if, if you've never given yourself to Christ, if, if we, again, we know you're a screw-up. <laughs> we're, we're all screw-ups. We don't need you to tell us your sins. We don't need you to tell us how bad you've been. All we need to know is that you're going to look where we're looking. We're going to hold to his promise. We're going to hold to that together. If you need us to pray with you today about that, if you need to do business with God, if you need to come to him and say, I am ready to look to you, we want to be here to encourage you, to help you, to, to just bless you as you bless us, as we bless him together. If you want to come forward and do that today, we would love to receive you. We would love to to be here for you as you make that decision.